Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Tom Colicchio is a celebrity chef who you probably know from the hit series Top Chef, but you probably don't know that he's extraordinarily passionate about food security, advocating for a food system that values access, affordability, and nutrition. Tom, welcome. Thank you. So food security, very important issue to you. Mm-hmm. Why so important? Why should all of us be thinking about food security right now? Well, you say security, you mean food insecurity. Insecurity. Insecurity, yeah. Stand correct. Yeah. Exactly. Because we could talk about food security <laughs> and whether or not our food supply is secure, which it may not be, but um, food insecurity. I mean, right now in this country, we have about 40 million people, 41 million people who struggle to put food on the table. And um, and then I, I think that number would probably you know, it would, would grow by leaps and bounds if we really focused on whether or not people can put healthy food on their table which is very different. You know, in this country, calories are cheap, but nutrition is expensive. <laughs> and so you have a lot of people struggling. And why is this important? You know, if you think about, we have a, a, a food system that's broken. And, and, and when I say that, I mean that, um, again, because calories are cheap and, and nutrition expensive, but also it's not reaching everyone that it should reach. Um, you know, if you were to equate it to a power grid, Right. You kind of, no matter where you are in this country, you kind of expect if you move into a house or, you know, wherever, if you move into a trailer, whatever it is, that you can plug into power and power up your, you know, phones or your TV or, you know, your computer. And, and people, you know, kids in rural area can tap into a computer and if they have broadband. And, and you know, you expect things that just work. And we have a food system, so if it, it should be like the power grid. No matter where you are, you should be able to plug into it and you should be able to find nutrition. But it's, it's not. Um, you know, again, you have a system that supports uh, mass-produced food um, that is producing a lot of cheap calories, which, you know, it sounds like it could be good because, we you know, you want food to be less expensive and inexpensive. And that, that, that's, that's true, but it's not, it's not reaching everyone because, again, it's, it's too expensive for some people. And so why should we care about this? If you look, just look at children for a second, when you have 16 million children that are living in these households, their educational outcomes are going to be stunted. There is shame associated with, with knowing that you're hungry. There was, there was a great article I read recently, I forget where it was, and this woman who wrote the article talked about growing up hungry, knowing that she was living in a, in a household that people struggled for food, knowing that her mother would skip meals so she can feed the children. She knew this. And so, you know, there's a shame associated with it. Why now is that important? Well, you want people to grow up healthy because when they become adults, you want them to be able to participate to the fullest to give back to society, to participate sure. in society. So when, when, when kids, when their educational outcomes are stunted because of the food that they're eating, um, it's just not great for our future. So you mentioned kids and education. I go immediately to school lunch. Sure. 
broken. Absolutely. My mother ran a school lunch program in Elizabeth, New Jersey, so this is something near and dear to me. Um, 30 million children use the public school system um, uh, for lunch. A lot of these kids, the school breakfast and the school lunch is the only meal they're getting. Michelle Obama, this is one of her, her, her projects. She wanted school lunch to be healthier. We passed the Hungry Healthy Kids Free Act. Um, it takes sugar, sodas out of vending machines. It, takes, it cuts that amount on sugar. It cuts that back on sodium. It puts uh, a mandatory helping of fruits and vegetables uh, on the lunch tray. And right now there's a big push to push that all back. <laughs> to you know, get the soda back in the lunchroom. Get you know, put those you know, get rid of the whole grains and go to go to uh, processed foods. And so, you know, you make you make a few steps forward and you get pushed a few steps back. But again, you know, I, I testified in Congress um, around uh, school lunch, and I had someone from the Heritage you know, Foundation sitting next to me testifying and saying, "Why should we tell kids what to eat?" And my response was, "I have a." I have an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old. I, I tell them what to eat. If if I didn't, they would eat cookies and candy all day long. I also tell them they have to take a bath because if I didn't, they wouldn't <laughs> take a bath. And so, yeah, we're the adults. We should tell kids what to eat. We should have healthy food in our lunchrooms. Um, we should have people that are cooking in the lunchrooms as opposed to just heating up stuff in a steam table. Again, when 30 million children are, are relying on this, we should make sure that there, there are definitely healthy options. Then if you take that a step further... So there's, a, you know, a huge local food movement, but why shouldn't schools sort of be obligated to use, to plug into that local food movement as well? So who's it going to benefit? You'll have fresher, healthier food in the lunchrooms, plus the local farmers are going to get the big benefit. So not the giant food companies that are, that are pushing food into the food system. Local farmers are going to actually see those dollars come back to them. So there's, uh, again, this is part of a broken system. If the system was actually working for everyone, it would work for those local farmers, it would work for those students, um, and it ultimately would work for the schools. So you spend a lot of your time working with mission-driven nonprofits. I know Wellness in Schools, Feast. Which organizations are you currently working with, and, and who do you admire is doing great work there? Uh, wellness is doing great. We just had their, their big fundraiser for the year. In fact, I, I'm wearing the, uh, the Converse Wellness in the School sneakers um, that, oh. they, that they gave me. Oh, those are cool. <laughs> yeah, custom yeah. Chuck Cust- Taylors, yeah, guys. Yeah, custom Chuck Taylors with, with the, the Wits uh, logo on it. Uh, thanks, Bill Telepan. Um, Wellness is doing great. Feast, um, we work with them as well. Feast uh, is an organization that um, works with adults mostly to, to give them sort of coping skills. And part of that is teaching them how to cook. Uh, I just went to the first graduation. and It was just really touching. There was one woman in particular who was the leader of this group who I got to say, if she had the right opportunities, right, she would run a company right now. She was just fant- fantastic. Um, and this is when, when you work with people like this, this is what you see. You see that these people are so smart, they're driven, they just didn't get the opportunities that, you know, uh, other people have, and so uh, people of privilege have, and, and so she was, it was just, it was great to see this, and so that's one organization, um, A Place at the Table, which is an organization that came out of my wife's film, Great uh, Film, a Place see at the it? Table, yeah. and um, it was a film about hunger in this country, and um, so we're working on focusing on messaging. And we worked with an organization called uh, Frameworks over the last year. Uh, it's an organization out of Washington, D.C. It's a, a, you know, a bunch of sociologists and anthropologists and all PhDs, and they focused on how we're getting the message of, of, uh, of why we should change hunger in this country. And we found that a lot, of the, um, a lot of the ways that a lot of organizations are talking about hunger actually doesn't really help. 
um, especially when the average person hears that there are all these organizations and there's SNAP out there and there's all these organizations working on, on uh, anti-hunger policy and feeding people. Well, the problem's taken care of, so I don't have to do anything. Um, and so we've got to find ways to, to message uh, yeah. why it's important to, 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 to minimize hunger as much as possible in this country. So we're working with, uh, so it's a place to table campaign. But there's so many great organizations out there, Share Our Strength, No Kid Hungry, really focused on, on lunch, school lunch and school breakfast, um, especially breakfast after the bell, um, which is a real movement in schools to serve breakfast in first period. A lot of the schools have breakfast before first period, but again, there's a stigma of going to school early. A lot of times transportation doesn't work. Kids have to get up a lot earlier. Parents have to get up a lot earlier to get the kids out to school. And they find that when breakfast, when they get breakfast after the bell, math scores increase by 30%. Wow. So um, this is the power of food. This is what food can do. And so that's Share Our Strength is doing that. Of course, local food banks. There's so many people trying to sort of um, deal with this problem. But what, what we're seeing, which is, I think, a direct result of the film, because um, the film, we kind of focused on government's role in, in uh, ending uh, poverty and hunger in this country. And we're seeing that a lot of the uh, anti-hunger organizations are starting to look at political solutions and also trying to get their, their, their membership out there to vote around this issue of ending hunger, which is uh, the only way we're really going to end, end hunger. So another huge issue right now, sustainability with yeah. regards to restaurants and then more specifically food waste. So Yeah, oh God, food waste. Um, so currently we, we Americans, we throw out about 40% of what we produce in this country. And it's not 40% of what you buy at home. It's a lot of crops getting left in the field. You know, di- at distribution points, if that, you know, zucchini is not six inches long and perfectly straight, it gets discarded. <laughs> um, stuff that, you know, you find in the supermarket, if it's not perfect, it ends up in a bin. It's a, it's a huge problem. You know, again, when you hear that number 40%, what we're throwing out is not just food. You know, you've got to realize that we're throwing out all the resources that it takes to make that food and produce that food. So it's a lot of energy. It's a ton of water. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also people's lives. You know, some farmers out there producing food, and we're just kind of discarding it. It's like, yeah, well, you're, there's no value in what you're producing, so I can throw it away. The average American throws out about $1,500 worth of food a year. Wow which is, in some cases, you know, it's a, a big chunk of your food budget. I, I, there was a, this great film, and they had a, someone walking out of a, a supermarket with four bags, and they just dropped one and kept walking. Hmm. So this is kind of what we're doing. Um, so there's been, there's been a great campaign and public awareness around food waste, and, and there's a lot of smart people trying to find solutions. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a huge, it's a huge problem. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with just being aware. Um, you know, I try to do this thing on Friday where I clean out my refrigerator and make big soup or big pasta using all the leftover, you know, the scraps of vegetables and things like that. But it's pretty darn good. Yeah. It's, it's, I also feel good doing it. I hate throwing food out. You know, my, 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 my wife says that I have the, I have the soul of a, a Depression-era housewife. You know, <laughs> I, I can't throw anything away. But that, you know, the thing is, though, we're, we're, we're a generation and a half or two generations or even a generation away from knowing how to deal with, with food waste. I mean, I, I remember watching my grandparents cook at home. My grandfather would fry bacon in the morning, and then he would strain the bacon grease and save it. And that's what he cooked with. He didn't go out and buy oil. And so he, he used everything because he lived through a depression, the Great Depression, and, and food was scarce and, and, you know, it cost a lot of money, and, and you wanted to, to, you know, save. And so your dinner at nighttime, whatever's left over, it turns into the omelet the next morning or something for lunch. And the idea of throwing food out is just something I, I struggle with. Um, you know, also, I, I, you know, we compost at home as well. 
If it doesn't end up in the landfill, it's not waste. I love that. We feed our dogs scraps. We, we actually save it. And if I, if I make chicken soup, I'll take the bones and everything and scrape everything off of it and kind of chop it up, and that's the dog food. Um, I mix <laughs> it in with her kibble and stuff so she's getting the right nutrition. But So, again, this idea where it just drives me crazy to throw things out. And, you know, it's a, as a chef, you're taught not to throw things out. This is what we're taught in kitchens because that's money. You know, it's, it's, you know, our, our uh, you know, your cost of goods mo- go through the roof. Exactly. <laughs> m- most people think that for some reason that we're, you know, restaurants are, are, you know, we have these huge margins. Our margins are really tight. And so we're taught, um, you know, how to use everything, total utilization. I mean, wh- why do you think tuna tartare became such a big item on, on menus? It's because that was all the odds and ends of the tuna after you cut that beautiful tuna steak. It's like, okay, we have a scrap. What do you want to do with this? It's tuna tartare. Nothing wrong with it. But um, and I, think, I think if the average person starts thinking along these, these lines, we can really cut that net food waste. Way I better. love it. Yeah. So with regards to health, you know, what comes to mind for me is eating more plant-based, yeah. sustainability. Yeah. What are you seeing in the world right now? How are you taking that in your own restaurants? And also, who do you admire who's doing good work yeah, there? Yeah, we're, 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 we're definitely um, much more plant-forward. And I know everybody's out there going, you own two steakhouses. Yeah, I know I do. Um, Lots of great vegetables at steakhouses, are, We have a lot of great vegetables at our steakhouse. But I also say I would be happy telling people not to eat meat every single day. If you're going to eat meat, eat a great piece of steak. That's fine. I've always been plant forward, but I, for different reasons. Um, for me, I find that, and I've, you know, I've been preaching this for 20 years, if I'm looking to make a new dish or, or, or a dish or put a menu together, I don't start and say, wow, I want to make lamb today. No, <laughs> no. I look and say, well, it's summer. I have zucchini, tomatoes, and eggplant. Well, that would be great with lamb. Okay. So it starts with produce because the, the flavor, the profile, those flavor profiles always, to me, starts with herbs, vegetables, mushrooms. It never starts with meat or fish. To me, that's the blank canvas because that doesn't change much. You're starting with the seasons, too. Right, of course. The seasons, the seasons sort of dictate what's coming out of the ground. And then, of course, if it grows together, it goes together. So, <laughs> so, so when you have these, you know, I garden. So when things are coming out of the ground at the same time, they have a natural affinity for each other. And so, so to me, I've always been plant forward in terms of, of creativity. And I'm finding more and more um, that I eat that way, especially at home, especially in the summer. And, f- and it's, for me, it's not an ethical choice or anything like that, but it definitely is an environmental choice. Yep. But it's also a choice for health. You know, I, I, I don't feel I need to have a, you know, a 12-ounce steak every single night. Or, good for you. Or meat. Or, you know, we're eating more fish, but definitely eating more vegetables. If I could get my children to eat more vegetables, that would be great. So um, what, what's in your ground right now? It's right, April. It's right April now, in New York. Right now, the only thing that is in the ground is wintered over spinach. Um, I, I have a house on, on North Fork of Long Island. That's where I garden. So there's, there's winter over spinach. There's definitely garlic shoots coming up because I plant those in the fall. But that's it for now. I haven't, I haven't planted yet. I'm, this week. What are you going to plant? What are your, I'm curious. It's spring in New York. What are Tom's favorite vegetables, vegetables uh, and herbs? Right now, my, my, my favorites are, are peas, fava beans, um, Ramps, which just started, we just started getting some from West Virginia. Ramps, uh, morel mushrooms. I mean, to me, those three things, peas, ramps, morels, that's spring to me. But uh, great spring onions right now. All the alliums are starting to come up. Um, but to me, that's, that's the flavor of spring. That green and onion together, that's, that's spring. So with regards to being a bit more plant forward, what chefs do you think are doing a really good job there? 
uh, Tal at Crossroads in L.A. is doing a fantastic job. Um, in fact, I'm doing a guest uh, chef dinner with, with Tal um, in September. Um, I just did this great pop-up with uh, Chloe. It was, it was fantastic. Um, supernatural. Yeah, super, it was amazing. Super, I've been there, Supernatural, guys. yeah. Amazing. Um, you know, I, I've heard of Chloe. I knew of her restaurants. I didn't know much about her. And she kind of contacted me out of the blue and said she wanted to meet with me. And, and um, we just hit it off. And I, I liked her vibe. I liked what she had to say. And, and so we got together. I had this private dining room next door to the restaurant. And, and during the day, it's not used much. So we did this, this, this pop-up. And... You know, she came in with her crew and, and did her thing. And, and I got to say, it was really good. It was m- focused mostly on sort of Mexican flavors. Which the vegan I, nachos I, were the, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. I, you know, I got to say, what, 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 what floored me is a lot of young chefs, and she had a bunch of people working with her. Um, I'm not looking to disparage anyone here, but young, young cooks that work in my kitchen. The first thing we try to teach them is just seasoning level. Nothing is ever really, you know, it's, it takes a while. It's always a struggle. Her stuff was just on point from the, the very second I tasted everything. I was like, wow, this is just, it's there. But uh, it was usually successful, um, but it lasted three weeks. And, um, but it showed me, what really what I found interesting is I got a sense that, that not everyone who was coming was a vegan. They weren't. Uh, no. Yeah. I got a sense that it was some vegetarians, but also a sense that these are people who just wanted to take a day off um, from eating meat. Or they're looking to eat healthier, they're looking to eat... Um, uh, they're kind of vegan, vegetarian curious, I call mm-hmm. them. But it's great, but it's, it, it shows you that, you know, food can be delicious. Um, it, you don't need animal fats to make food delicious. So that was, that was a lot of fun. But there's, listen, there's, there's tons of people that I think are, are doing great vegetable-forward food. I think nowadays in a restaurant, high-end restaurants, you cannot not have a vegan or vegetarian options on your menu. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be, oh, I'll throw something together. Now you have to make dishes that, that make sense, that are complete dishes. The vegan thing for me is, is always a struggle because there's certain things you kind of gravitate towards and you go, oh, I can't use that, like eggs and things like that. But you, there's watching Chloe work, you see how there are ways to get around it without doing the meat substitutes, which I'm not crazy about. Um, you know, it's funny. I said, well, we'll make pasta. She wanted to buy pasta. She's vegan pasta. I said, well, no, we can make it. She said, well, eggs. I said, no, no, we have an extruder. It's just semolina and water. We can make this happen. Um, <laughs> so then you remind yourself, well, there's tons of stuff that we can do. And, um, you know, for me, though, there's a lot of great chefs that are doing really cool things. Michael Voltaggio, he did a mm-hmm. pop-up at, um, at um, uh, in L.A. with, with Tala Crossroads. And he did this really cool dish. It was like the celery root knob and it looked like a braised like lamb shank so he wanted it to look like and he had like a heart of palm for the bone it was like really cool but to me it's like i don't need this to look like meat i just need it to taste great so yeah i think this is also going to bleed down to chain restaurants mm-hmm. where you're going to start seeing impossible burger being tested at burger king exactly yes yeah yeah so it's just, this isn't going to go away this isn't a fad. This isn't some some thing. And, and, and listen, there are a lot of you know people that, that choose veganism for a lot of reasons. A lot of it is just, you know they don't want to see animals hurt, or at people all. just want to eat less meat and less. They, there yeah. are there there's that, but there's, there's people come at it for a lot of different reasons. Sure. And whatever your reason is, I think I think uh, the world will open up to, to veganism and vegetarianism. It's and it's not a fad. It's not something that's going to come and go. Have you been to Planta in Miami? I have not been. You heard about it? Yeah, I have. It's quite good. Yeah, I have. Quite good. I I don't get to Miami that frequently. Um, So what other trends are you seeing in the restaurant industry with regards to health, sustainability? It seems like it's sort of everywhere. I think for me, 
10, 15 years ago, it was like, okay, here's the health food place. Here's the organic place. It's crunchy. It's not cool. And today I, I call it like stealth health. You go to any great restaurant, it's health forward, whether you know it or not. Yeah. You know, yes, that that's happening. And that is a trend. What I'm seeing more, more than anything though, is not so much, um, sort of body health when, and that's important, what you're sort of feeding yourself in restaurants. Mental health is really starting to take a, a, a front seat. A lot of people are talking about it, and I think, yeah, kind of credit um, a woman named Kat Kinsman with that. She um, really started to get chefs to look at what they were doing with themselves and sort of their mental health. This idea that you're going to get up in the morning, you're going to go to work early, you're going to work late, you're going to drink after work, you're going to eat really bad food 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, that's kind of how I grew up in the business. And nowadays you're you're hearing chefs and a lot of it had to do with chefs who had illnesses um mm-hmm. sean brock i a, just thought of him he's a great guy great guy did you watch the chef's table on it? i i haven't but i know sean and i know the struggles amazing he had with guy health. i was texting with him the other day he, he's amazing yeah and, to completely turn it around yeah and and you know part of it is, is it's just his personality he's really driven so when he started getting into whiskey he, he had a huge whiskey collection he started <laughs> playing whiskey gu- ice cream yeah he started playing guitar and he's got this crazy pedal collection and now he's really getting into guitars but he, he had some health issues and real scares, and he just you know decided to turn it around and found found a health coach and and it was physical but also mental health. So chefs are starting to realize that you don't yeah. have to kill yourself. You don't got to sort of put yourself through this sort of macho, you know, win at any cost, yell and scream, get worked up, work yourself to death. It's just not worth it. And what I'm seeing is the young cooks who are coming to the kitchen. When I was coming up. Hell, I wanted to work 80 hours a week, partly because I wanted the 40 hours of overtime because I wasn't, I wasn't getting paid a lot of money. So I was like, great, I'll work, I'll work 80 hours. I don't care. But um, the, the younger kids now, they're like, you know what? 40 hours is enough. And even 40 hours is too much. And at first, we were like, you know, you guys, you millennials, you're all lazy. But I realized, no, it's not the case. They just want something different out of it. And, um, and it's fine. We're really respecting that. So if I have a young cook who comes to me and says, you know what, chef, 30 hours is good for me, fine. I'm okay with that. I'm not going to play this. You're not driven. You're not dedicated enough game. It's like, that's what you need. If that's what you want to do, well, then, then great. That's, that's fine. It works for you. Um, I told my staff at the beginning of this, this year, I'm not coming in until 12 o'clock. <laughs> in fact, I think we had a, we had a, a, a scheduled earlier um, for, for this podcast. I was like, no, don't, I don't want to be there at 10 o'clock. <laughs> um, partly because I do yoga every morning, and, and, and I need that time for myself, and I'm reclaiming that time. And so... If I can't get my work done from, say, 12 o'clock in the afternoon to 8 o'clock at night, then I'm doing something wrong. Well, you lead me to my next question. You're a busy guy, grueling TV schedule, chef, restaurants, the whole th- family, kids. How do you take care of yourself? Yeah, the, the TV schedule is not that hard, actually. It's, it's, it's five <laughs> to six weeks a year. That's it. We shoot straight through. Um, I only do one show, and that's, that's, that's great. So, no, the TV is not that bad. Um, restaurants, we opened a new restaurant in December, and that was a, that was a grind. Um, when I open a new restaurant, then I'm there from the morning until night. So that, that's a grind. But I'll do that for about, you know, two months and then back off a little bit. Um, you know what I do? I, I try to do yoga in the morning. I box, you know, two or three days a week as well. Um, I try to eat better. But for me, it's also not so much meditating, although I, 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 I have meditated a bit. But for me, my form is just sort of clearing some space for an hour or two a day, just downtime. Mm-hmm. Phones away you know, quiet time with a book or just kind of sitting there, you know, I play guitar as well. So if I can get an hour in the morning playing guitar, to me, that's, that's, that's what I need. 
if I clear that space off, um, you know, I have hobbies. I fish. So I got to go, I got, I got to get out of the water yesterday, which was great. And so for me, it's, it's these, there's certain things that I need to do for myself, for my, for my mental health. And I need to take that time. And of course I have, I have three children, um, two are young, eight and nine, and I have a 25 year old and, you know, my, my 25 year old Dante kind of, you know, when he was young, I was working way too much, um, it was when I had Gramercy Tavern. I typically would get in 10 in the morning and not get home until 1 o'clock at night. Um, relationships suffered because of that. Um, and uh, so this time around with my little guys now, I try to spend more time with them. It's more home time. And, and, and uh, you know, luckily at this point in my career, I have a great team of people um, that I trust that, you know, collectively we can run our business as opposed to me feeling I have to be there, you know, all the time. So that, it helps I, a lot. I love it. Any new restaurants coming up? No, we opened Small Batch in December. Um, you know, that's still new, so we're still giving that attention. We're looking at some other projects. We have a food hall that we're looking at uh, in Kansas City, uh, actually Mission, Kansas. That's about a year, year and a half out. Um, we are most likely opening a rooftop bar at the Beekman Hotel this year, so that's pretty cool. Oh, that uh, is we're cool. working on that. And... Uh, you know, I've been working on a book for six years. <laughs> my, publi- my publisher hates me at this point. My publisher retired. Um, my editor you retired. Out- I my love editor it. retired. So, so during this time, and it's it is planned forward. It's a book because it's it, you know I kept jumping from idea to idea. But when I, start, I started gardening about six years ago, so it's a book that's going to focus on the garden and cooking out of the garden. I love that. But I just can't. It's like it drives me. I, I hate writing books. I hate you know it's. It's 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 tedious and it's it's drives me crazy. I, mean, I cook a lot in the spring and the summer, especially out in Long Island. And I I, I tried I tried to do something. And I figured okay, I, I got this great idea. So I'm gonna take some GoPros and put them around the hood, like facing down at the stove. And so whenever I start cooking, I'll just turn on the GoPro and we'll have a we'll, we'll document it. And then I can just turn it over to someone to write the recipe because I can't stand that. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work very well. <laughs> what, what's your favorite vegetable forward dish to make? Uh, you know, depend this time of year. Um, just, again, it's asparagus, it's peas, you know, fava beans, ramps, uh, mushrooms. Um, that's one. Um, uh, there's an eggplant dish that just became like a family favorite. We had a, a nanny who was from Nepal, and, and she loved spicy food and loved eggplants. So this was a dish I made for her, and it became a family favorite. So it's, it's eggplant. It really doesn't matter which kind of eggplant, but eggplant, a lot of olive oil. And I would do it on a, a griddle. But you could do it in a saute pan, but olive oil just soaks, I mean, uh, eggplant just soaks up oil. So medium heat, uh, saute the eggplant in batches until they're nice and soft. And then sweat some chili peppers. Um, I, I take whatever in the garden or Fresnos, jalapenos, doesn't really matter so much. A lot of scallions, a lot of basil, Thai basil, some mint, and cilantro. So you sweat garlic, so sweat all that, add the herbs. And then add that all back to the um, the eggplant. Let that cook together a little bit. Take it off the heat. Fish sauce, lime juice, and then those same herbs, fresh folded in. Wow, that's it was just it's just loaded with flavor. It's that's my, that's it's my favorite. I'll make that, um, especially in the summer when eggplants start coming in. It's almost every other night we're making it. And the great thing about it, it's great hot. It's great cold the next day. Um, it's good on a sandwich um, as a spread because if you take that, that eggplant 
and chop it up, it becomes almost like a relish. Um, so yeah, so it's it's versatile and it's, it's one of my favorites. I love it. Any uh, great places to hit up in New York? Of course, other than your own restaurants. You know, I am the worst at this because I don't go out. Because you work and you know your own well, places. No, it's like when I leave family. when I leave work, I don't want to go to a restaurant. Um, I have no idea. There are some restaurants. Adamix is one that I really want to try. It's a Korean um, sort of new, new, newer style Korean cooking that sounds fabulous. And so that's that's where I really want to go next. But uh, there's there's a, there's a ton of great restaurants out there. I don't know. I don't get out. <laughs> I, I don't get out. Um, you know, I try to. You know, to all right, we're gonna get out once a week. And I just, it never happens. Understood. Um, also, for some reason, I can't eat a lot of food these days. You know, I go to a restaurant, all of a sudden, it's like this, people start, they just start sending food. And sending it's a chef. And sending more so, food. Uh, Amanda, we went out, Amanda Freitag, <laughs> called, my wife and I went out with Amanda one time, and she, we were in Chicago for an event, and I was like, oh my God, we can't eat. It's like, anywhere you walk, it's, it's the unwritten rule, you get everything. You get everything, and I can't eat a lot of food these days. If I have... You know, if I go out and eat a, a, an appetizer, of course, you get a mid-course sent to you, and an entree, I'm, and I'm too full. And I feel terrible. You the can't next, be I, disrespectful. You can't I say can't, no. You can't. And I really <laughs> feel terrible the next day, especially, I also find, I'm 56 now. I'm also finding that if I have more than one cocktail, I pay for it the next day. <laughs> so I have to be careful. But I, uh, you know, there's, there's a ton of great restaurants out there. So what keeps you up at night and what has you excited every morning? Oh God! What keeps me up at night? Um, I don't. You know, our, our politics right now. <laughs> the, the guy who's in the White House keeps me up right now. I don't know why. I mean, I know why, but just the way this, this con- way this country's going, and just how divided we are, it, it really does keep me up at night in a way where it shouldn't, but it, it does. Um, so that's what keeps me up at night. What keeps me going at night, in, in the morning is just just hope that that we can change the system. Hope that our better angels will prevail. And I think they will. And I think we'll, you know, hopefully get, get past this and um, hopefully it'll be a better future. Um, looking at what's going on at the border, you know, children in cages, that keeps me up at night. Sure. And this is where, you know, I had this conversation with someone recently. I said, well, why does it bother you so much? And I said, it bothers my soul to see this country resort to that. That's what bothers me. It bothers me when you make progress when it comes to school lunches to see an administration just decides they just, eh, we're just going to undo all that. It bothers me that um, that our our place in this world is no longer respected because we're not the kind of country that we could be. We're not leading. We're not providing that leadership. We are reaching out to despots. We're reaching out to countries and 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 leaders that we really have no business working with. Um, are definitely supporting or putting them on a stage equal with with the president of the United States. That hopefully will change. And so that's, that's, you know, I do have hope out there. I have hope. The midterms gave me a lot of hope. Um, so um, we'll see. Last question. If you could go back in time and give uh, the young chef, young chef Tom advice, what advice would that be? Oh, uh, God. Um, so <laughs> young, young, young chef, not, not too far back in the, in the, in the past, but um I was chef owner of Gramercy Tavern, and I had opened and owned Kraft while I was still at Gramercy, and I think I had Kraft Steak while I was still at Gramercy as well. And then it became a point where Danny Meyer and I, we had to decide who was going to own that restaurant. We couldn't run together anymore for various reasons, and I was going to buy the restaurant from him, and the last second I changed my mind. If I can go back, I may not have done that again. And it, it wasn't a bad decision at the time. 
And the reason I say that is because this grind that chefs are putting themselves through, especially young chefs, they get one restaurant, they want two, three, four, five, they want to build an empire. I, I have seven restaurants. People think I have a lot more. Um, I would have stopped right there with three. Um, oh. It would have been enough. Because going from one to two is difficult. Going from two to three is really difficult. And then once you start doing restaurants where you have to get on a plane and go to, Squirling. it becomes a problem. It's hard to keep track of. And even if you can have great people, and every chef will say this, the reason I'm growing is because I want to give opportunities to my people. I get it. Slow down. Uh, it's not a race. And there um, are very few people who have done that at scale. It's like John George and Phil Swore. Yeah. Like yeah, a couple come to mind, yeah. but yeah, that, yeah. there aren't many. Yeah. They've, they've, Nobu. Yeah, um, that's yeah. yeah um, there, there are people who've done it, and you can do it, but it comes at a cost. It comes at a, at a, a cost to your relationships with your children, your spouses, your significant others, even people that you work with. You know, one regret I have is that I don't know, like, every cook in my kitchen. I, I don't. I don't get to all of them all the time. Does that bother me? Yeah, it bothers me. You know, it used to be where when I had one restaurant, I knew <laughs> if a fly somehow got in, got in through the front door, I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it comes it comes with a price. And so my suggestion to young chefs is once you get that one restaurant, don't be so quick. Just, re- you know, again, it's not, it's not a race. It's a good There's metaphor for life. Out there. Good yeah, life I advice. I think so. I think so. I think everyone yeah. just so quick. Let's go more and more and more. Yeah, sometimes more. You know, Wolfgang Puck told me this a long, long time ago after I started, you know, I think my, my second or third, and I said, how do you do? And he said, he's another guy who's done it too. And he said, yeah, Tom, he said, don't, <laughs> I wish I'd taken his advice. He said, the more I do, I'm not making any more money. I just have more headaches. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Tom Cook here. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks.